0: I've been struggling with my voice this week, so I was going to hold back on the singing, but it's kind of hard with that last song. I mean, if you don't want to shout out and sing to that song, there's something wrong with you. That's a great, great song. I'm going to do something a bit unique this morning. I have a feeling I say that a lot, so I must be doing a lot of unique stuff. But but I really am this morning. I mean it. I'm going to show you a series of pictures and I want you to tell me which scenario you prefer. So I want you to participate, okay? Let's look at the first set of pictures here. You have a picture of a newborn baby and a picture of a flat line, which means someone has just died. Which of these scenarios do you prefer? Yeah, the newborn baby, right? Okay, next. Here we have a party and a funeral. Which of these do you prefer? The party or the funeral? Party, that's right, that's right. Okay, next. Here you have a coach kindly telling his player what he did wrong. And uh, on the other picture you have Pete Carroll there praising his player. Which of these do you prefer, rebuke or praise? Right, okay next picture. Here you have a guy laughing and another guy guy's flat-out depressed with these prefer Laughter or sadness? Yeah, so let me get this straight You prefer birth over death parties over funerals Pray or rebuke and laughter over sex am I right? Yeah I th- We would all reason in that way. I think we would all at first glance say we prefer these things and you know why because Each and every one of us has grown up thinking that us to enjoy our life, our world, has to be free of hardship. When I was young, I truly believed not one good thing could come from suffering and adversity. So I tried to avoid it at all costs, and I think many of us are still trying to do that today, aren't we? We are continuing our series this morning in the book of Ecclesiastes, so if you have your Your Bible turned to Ecclesiastes 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 this morning. And in this passage of Scripture, Solomon is going to showcase his wisdom. I mean, if you thought before this chapter that Solomon was wise, you're going to truly see it in this chapter. I mean, you're going to see that we are in the minor leagues when comparing our wisdom to his. Now, if you remember from last week, in chapter 6, Solomon ends the chapter with a question. He asks, what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life? In other words, because life is so brief, how are we to spend our time with the little time we have left? And in chapter 7, in these first 14 verses, Solomon is going to answer this question. And he's going to answer it by giving us eight proverbs or uh, eight life lessons. Now, I want to warn you, in the, uh, in the fashion of, you know, the, the, the trend that Solomon's been following here, these proverbs are heavy. They are difficult. They are tough pills to swallow. Solomon is not preaching to the choir when giving these life lessons. These go counter to the way we think. You're going to hear some points this morning, and you're going to think to yourself, wait a second. I mean, I just, I just, that just doesn't sound right. I haven't grown up thinking that. Well, let me remind you this morning that we are reading from someone with with, who has far superior wisdom to ours and in others as well. So let's approach this text this morning with. Open hearts, and closed mouths as we learn from Solomon's wisdom this morning. Here's the first point that Solomon makes, the first life lesson. Good character is better than good cologne. Now that sounds kind of funny. We'll explain this. Good character is better than good cologne. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Listen to the first part of verse 1 again. Solomon says a good name is better than precious ointment. Let me explain what that means, because I know that sounds kind of strange. When he says name, he's referring to our character, our reputation. And ointment, of course, refers to cologne or, or perfume. If Solomon was speaking to us today, he would say, Your reputation is more important than Giorgio Armani or Polo or Brute, whatever you wear. Somebody might disagree with Brute, I don't know. But uh, um, that's Solomon's point this morning. A good smelling cologne, no matter how nice, no matter how expensive, it fades over time, doesn't it? It does. It stays with you a little while. You may get a few compliments on it, but over time it fades. But a good name, a good reputation, that sticks. In other words, a name that lasts is better than a... Solomon here is explaining the importance of having the pleasing aroma of a good reputation. If you smell bad on the outside, that's forgivable, isn't it? as long as it's not a continual problem. If you were to come over to my house after I mow the lawn, you would agree with my wife that I didn't smell too good. And you would probably say, like she does to me, hey, why don't you go get in the shower and go get cleaned up, because you smell really bad. But my guess is you'd probably forgive me for that, because I've been outside and I've been working hard. But what's much more difficult to live down and much less forgivable is a bad reputation. That's Solomon's point. A good reputation, a good character is the most important thing about you. We live in a world that says image is everything and character matters very little. Not true in the truth. But I grew up. I had many of the wrong influences when I was growing up telling me I don't worry about what people think of you. Your own person. Who cares what your parents think, what your friends think, what your teacher thinks? Do what's best for you. Solomon, he says the opposite, and he's got the wisdom. He says, your character, your name, your reputation, it means everything. What people say about you is so important. In their day, names were very significant. Not so much today, Uh, but every now and again you'll hear somebody with a, with a familiar name, and I'll think to myself, hey, are you named after them? Uh, you know, that's, that's a unique name. And uh, every now and again, we name people uh, after others. I was named, listen to what my parents did. I was named after Billy Graham. Can you believe my parents did that to me? I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on a little kid, isn't it? It is. That's a lot to live up to. How many of you were named after godly men and women? Your family. Let me ask you this how are you living up to that name? Kids, youth, college age, students here, how are you living up to your family's name? How are you carrying on that name? Because It's important to ask that question because the way society views you according to Scripture, it is significant. It is important. As Leslie and I, as our girls get older, we're going to have to sit down with them and say, listen, you girls, you are hail girls. And that means something. Your character matters. It does. Solomon goes on to say, the day of death is better than the day of birth. Remember earlier, many of you said you prefer birth over death. Well, Solomon says we need to live with our dying day in mind. And the reason why is because at birth, there's not much you can say about the uh, the character of a newborn baby, right? They haven't done anything yet. Sky's the limit. But on the day of your death, it's fixed. There's nothing you can do to go back and and change the way that you've lived. You ever been to a funeral that was a celebration? You ever been to a funeral where they just celebrated a life and you went away from there just thinking, man, I want to have that kind of legacy. I want to make that kind of impact. That person lived a full life. You ever done that? You ever said that? Been to a funeral like that? Jim Elliott Many of you know that name. He was a famous missionary who was killed for his faith in Ecuador. He and a group of missionaries, uh, they went and they, God had laid it on their heart to go take the gospel to a vicious group of people, the, the Alca Indians, who had never heard the gospel. And uh, they were just a warlike, just, just vicious group of people. And upon making contact with these missionaries, I mean, with, these, uh, with this tribe, these missionaries were speared to death. They were killed. Well, those of y'all who are familiar with the story know that God used that tragedy, and, and I, many in that tribe came to know Christ. It's an incredible story. Well, later on, they found Jim Elliott's journal, and they published it, and I actually own it. And he's got a quote, he's got a lot of great quotes. But one a prayer that he prayed God. And I want to share it with you because I, I've committed it to memory. It just, it just touched me the first time I read it, and it still touches me to this day. He said, Lord, I pray thee, light the idle sticks of my life. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a one like you, Lord Jesus. That's prophetic, isn't it? Is that what you hear? Not a long life, but a full one like the Lord Jesus. What kind of legacy are you leaving? A godly legacy? The kind of legacy that your kids, your grandkids will remember? My great-granddad was a Baptist preacher, and he was just an incredibly godly man. I hear stories about him to this day, and I never got to him. And I hear about, I met somebody recently who sat under his preaching and just about the impact he had. In his life, and in fact, the the guy I served with in uh, Fort Smith, who's a pastor of Fellowship Fort Smith, get this: his grandmother was saved under my great grandfather's preaching. How about that? That's the kind of legacy I want to leave. Are you a man or woman of integrity? Are you a person who is respectable? Is your character godly? For the believers in here, do people when they hear that you're a Christian? Do they say, that explains a lot? Or do they say, that's shocking? How are you living up to that name? Make a commitment this morning to live a full life like Christ and leave a lasting, God-honoring legacy. Number two. Number two, a funeral is better than a party. It is better to go into the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. All right. Now, you remember earlier, you said you preferred parties over funerals, right? But Solomon says the opposite. And you're probably thinking to yourself, that's just not what I've grown up thinking. I mean, I've grown up thinking that parties are something you look forward to. That's... that's, places where you go to just laugh and sing and, and dance and eat cake and have fun. And funerals are to be avoided at all cost Because at a funeral, people are, are just dreary and wearing you know, black and they're, they're, they're mourning and they're sad. How can that be better? What does Solomon mean here? Well, this is one of those verses that's meant to stop us in our tracks and cause us to think what Solomon means when he says it's better to go into the house of mourning than the house of feasting, is at a funeral, you begin to think about what truly matters. You ever go to a party? Notice how lighthearted people are? You ever listen to the conversation? It's just surface, isn't it? Oh, I love what you've done with the house. I, You know, oh, this... The food is so great, can I have a recipe? You know, it's just surface stuff, right? What if I were to go into this situation and say, hey, let's talk about the meaning of life. Let's talk about what happens to a person when they die. What would people say to me? Say, shut up and eat your cake. This is not a time or place for that, right? That's right. People go to parties to escape from life's realities. But at a funeral, you don't have that option, do you? You don't. Funerals have a tendency to just knock us upside is a reality. Especially if that death is unexpected. That's Solomon's point. Funerals are for us at its end of all mankind. What does he mean when he says the of all kind? What he means is either one of us are one day going to have our own. We're eventually going to be a guest of honor at our funeral. That's some bad news for you today. I checked this the other day, the uh, Cherokee County death rate, and it's 100%. It is. It is. Death is the destiny of every man and woman, and funerals bring us to terms with that and force us to ask the question, Am I ready when my comes? Am I ready? Before I was saved, I didn't like to go to funerals, I'll be honest. Because I didn't know how to answer that question. And I didn't like to even think about it. Maybe you're in that boat today. Maybe you don't know how to answer that question either. God tells us how we can be prepared in his word. First, foremost we have to realize is as sure as we have a birthday we're going to have a death day right we are are you ready when that day comes one question i, I always like uh, that, that i hear folks at, ask from time to time when sharing christ with others is this if you were to die today and stand before god and he were to ask you why should i allow you in my heaven how would you respond man that's a great question how would you respond These are the kinds of questions that are often asked in the house of mourning and pushed aside in the house of feasting. So a funeral is better than a party. Here we go. Number three, sorrow is better than laughter. Look at verse 3 and 4. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of faith, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Once again, Solomon's words are counter to ours, aren't they? Many of you, you said you prefer laughter over sadness. And let's be honest, it seems as if Solomon would agree with this here, right? I mean, eight times in this book, Solomon says, enjoy life, be happy, be filled with joy, doesn't he? So it seems as if Solomon would be on the same page with us here. And though he doesn't turn his nose at laughter, Solomon is making the point here that at times, sorrow is to be the preferred thing. As we talked about in an earlier sermon, though laughter at times can be a good medicine, many use it as a narcotic. They do. They use it to escape from life's, Difficulties. At times people turn to laughter to help dull the, the and numb the truth that there is pain in our lives. And uh, though Solomon, as much as any writer in the scriptures, say that, that we need to enjoy our life. We need to experience joy and, and and be happy in this life. Solomon also knew this. When times are good, Many of us have a tendency to be unfaithful, unfruitful, and downright unspiritual. We do. But when we're sorrowful, when times get tough, we have a tendency to be more open, to turn to God and to trust in Him and to live for Him. I had a friend in seminary who told me a story about a young girl who worked in his hometown at a nearby gas station. And... Normally, when he would see her, he would notice she was real happy and upbeat. But he goes by one day, and he notices that she's not her normal, happy, cheerful self. So he asks her, what's wrong? And her knowing he's a pastor, she just lets him have it, let, let, just unloads on him. All the issues in her life at home, and, and just financially, physically, emotionally. And after she was finished, she, she ended by saying... I don't know what to do I'm at my wits end and the pastor said do you mind if I share a word with you and and she was open to it he said I want you to know that you're in a good place and she just had this puzzled look on her face she's like have you not nothing right in my life how can I be in a good place and he shared with her Psalm 107 27 and 28 it says they reeled and staggered like drunk men, and they were at their wits' end. And then the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them in their distress. He explained to her at times, it takes being at the end of your rope, being at your wits' end, to see what you truly need most. And you know what? That girl that night, she cried out to God, received Christ, her Savior, and now she faithfully lives for him. Often God uses time, sorrow, to mold us and make it more into what God wants us to be. If you want a man or woman character, though you shouldn't shout, when difficulties come, don't run from it. Carefully face it, knowing that God uses sorrow and He uses difficulty to mold you and to make you more like Him. So sorrow is better than happiness. Number four, rebuke is better than praise. Verse five and six. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This is also vanity. Solomon says here that the praise and laughter of a fool that's directed toward us is of no benefit to us. Now, know that Solomon is not saying... That is not criticizing heartfelt and meaningful in- encouragement that, that a friend gives to another. What he's talking about is that person who's around you all the time that just tells you what you want to hear. That mirror on the wall that always tells you you're the fairest of them all. That's who Solomon's speaking against. He says that's empty. And in verse 6, he explains that the laughter and praise of a fool is worthless, and he compares it to... Crackling the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot. Is that clear for you? Clear as mud? Well, in their day it would have been very clear. And what it what it basically what they did in those days is to prepare fires, they used thorn bushes. And they would put it in the fire, and for a moment it would make for a nice, hot, showy fire, but only for a moment. Solomon says, in the same way, the laughter. And the praise of a fool, though it seems to be a great thing to the one receiving praise, Solomon says, it's empty. Doesn't do you any good. What's beneficial, according to Solomon, is the rebuke of a wise man. That's hard for us to hear, isn't it? We just don't like rebuke. Come on, let's be honest. Rebuke, Solomon says, is to be preferred over praise. Learning how to receive a rebuke. That's what builds character Believers, let me encourage you this morning if you don't have a Good friend a good accountability partner That would just tell you how it is you need to get one you do You need that special someone who is willing to tell you what you don't want to hear and put your friendship on the line so that you can be more of what God wants you to be. Those should be your best friends. They should. And the reason why is because heartfelt rebuke is better than empty praise. Number five, the long haul is better than a shortcut. Look at verse seven through nine. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart better is the end of a thing than its beginning and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the bosom of fools once again this is contrary to the way many of us think especially in our world things have become so fast paced in our world haven't they we can do things ten times as fast as we can do them as we can do them ten years ago we have instant everything in this in this culture don't we we have instant food instant coffee instant internet instant gratification instant entertainment and as a result we have become extremely impatient in every area of our life we have patience often leads us to act in careless and unwise ways solomon explains this will make your life extremely difficult Patience can be damaging to us spiritually. Let's be honest, in our world, one of the most challenging phrases in the Bible is upon Lord. Am I right? I mean, that's challenging for us. We just don't want to wait. Because that is when the going gets tough, what many of us have a tendency to do is just jump shit or get off path that God has laid before us for an easier route. That's why God tells us time and time again in his word because he knows better than we know ourselves, Be patient. Weather the storms of life. Stay the course. Maybe your walk this morning has become extremely challenging. Let me encourage you this morning. Be patient. Continue to put one foot in front of the other. Stay on the path. That God has laid before you. And trust that He is going to complete in you what He began in you. When Solomon says the end is better than the beginning, his point is how we finish means everything. That's why it's fitting that our Christian life is referred to as a race. Because a race is all about the finish, isn't it? How are you going to finish? Are you running like Paul said to run? Run in such a way as to get the prize? Run to win? Is that the way you're running the race? Or have you dropped out because times have gotten tough? If you've been sidetracked for whatever reason, let me encourage you this morning to get back in and run. And know that patience is what produces perseverance. Patience is the key ingredient. To persevere. Number six. The present is better than the past. Look at verse 10. Solomon says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. I love to reminisce, don't you? How many of y'all love to reminisce? They have this uh, uh, website that I love to go to. It's called Retro Junk. And uh, it's got like 70s, 80s, and 90s. And they, and they put up all these articles on old toys and video games and stuff like that. Sometimes I'll just read it because it's just fun to read because it kind of takes me back to my childhood. So it's an entertaining. They have commercials and movies and all the stuff that were popular in those days. So I love to re- reminisce. And there's nothing wrong with nostalgia, is it? Is there? There's not. As long as it doesn't give you a sense of negativity toward the present we have a tendency to be very negative about what's going on today in our life we long for yesterday don't we we wish things were the way they were ten or twenty years ago at least we think we do Solomon says those who desire the past over the present it's not from wisdom that you say these things get this if you're dissatisfied With the the way things are presently get this you're dissatisfied with the direction that God is leading you in life you're showing a dissatisfaction toward what God is doing in your life today remember this is the day that the Lord has given you remember the psalmist this is the day the Lord has made rejoice and be glad in it don't let your longing for yesteryears, prevent you from li- for living for God today and enjoying your appointed season of life. Remember us talking about that? This is your appointed season. This is your time to live for God and to love Him and to serve Him. So rejoice and be glad in it. We have a tendency to suffer from short-term memory. Things may not be as great as what we thought they were 20 years ago. Especially not with you spiritually, hopefully, right? But we have a tendency to to be like the Israelites in in bondage, I mean, in in the wilderness, longing for Egyptian bondage. Truth is, things are good for you right now. If you're living for God and you're serving Him, and get this, the best is yet to come. It is. It's your appointed season. To live for God and to love Him and to serve Him. So rejoice and be glad in it. Number seven. Wisdom is better than wealth. Wisdom is better than wealth. Solomon says in verses 11 and 12, Wisdom is good with inheritance an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Though Solomon says money can provide some level of security, it doesn't care to wisdom. Remember I talked about a few weeks ago, many think that money is the answer to everything. Solomon said, it can't do what wisdom can do for you. That word protection is... The Hebrew word, it, it's, it, it literally means shadow, shadow. And, and think of it this way when we're comparing money to uh, wisdom. The protection money provides is like the shadow from a shade tree. It provides protection for a sh- short period of time in a limited space. Whereas the protection that wisdom provides is comparable to a large building with a roof on top of it that provides a permanent protection at a in a much larger space at a much deeper level that's the way we should think about it money can provide a shelter from the cold and the heat right it can provide us maybe a safe home in a safe neighborhood a security system but it cannot protect us That's its limitations on the protection it can provide for us. And we talked about already, money can be gone like that. But Solomon says, wisdom, however, it gives us long life. Wisdom helps us live our life well on planet Earth and will preserve our life and take us into eternity with a rich reward. That's what wisdom can do for us. Wisdom. God-honoring wisdom keeps us from the things that truly destroy us. Not those out there that, that our house will protect us from, you know, burglars or whatever. Wisdom protects us at a much deeper level. It protects us from the sin in our lives and in our world. Money can't do that, can it? You know what else wisdom can do? Wisdom can see us through the tragedies of life and bring us out and make us stronger people. Money can't do that either. Solomon knew the benefits to money, didn't he? He had a lot of it. But he also had a lot of wisdom. And he said, wisdom is to be preferred over wealth. Look at what Solomon, listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs 8, 10 through 11. He says, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So always prioritize wisdom over prosperity, because wisdom is better. Here's the last point that Solomon makes here. Seeing your need is better than being self-sufficient. We like to think of ourselves as self-sufficient, don't we? We like to think of ourselves as in charge, in control, in the driver's seat. Look at what Solomon says in verses 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Now, if anyone has ever questioned God's sovereignty, whether or not God's in control, they haven't studied this text very closely, have they? Solomon shows in this verse of Scripture, God is in charge and we are extremely limited. We are. We can't do anything about our past. We don't know anything about our future, do we? We can't undo anything that God is doing, and we don't even know what he's going to do in the future. Listen, if you don't come to this reality that God is in the driver's seat, that God is in control, then you're going to have a lot of frustrations in your life, and you're going to drive yourself mad trying to fix this world that is in control of. Now, why does God arrange life in this way? Like Solomon says here, why does he crooked? Why does he appoint adversity along with prosperity? You ever ask that? The answer, I believe, is simple. So that we'll trust in him. If everything in our life was just this, leave it to be resistance, perfect and clear made for us, you know what? We wouldn't see any need of God, would we? And as a result, you know what we would miss out on? We would go through this life and miss out on all the joys that come from knowing him and living for him. At times, God just gives us some help to show us the need of him, doesn't he? He brought David to that point, And listen to what David said. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Our times are in his hands. He is in charge, and we need to trust in Him. Maybe you're here this morning, and up to this point in your life, you've always thought of yourself as being in the driver's seat. I'm in the driver's seat. I'm the captain of my own ship, the master of my own fate. I want to tell you this morning that that mentality is a myth. Your life is in His hands. It is. If you don't come to this reality, you're going to end up like the lady in the gas station who was broken down by this world and at her wit's end. Maybe you're going through it this morning. You're going through a difficult time right now in your life. You don't know where to turn. Listen, this could be God telling you that what He wants from you more than anything else is for you to abandon your independent, self-sufficient life and in turn, turn to Him and trust in Him. Let me again remind you of the words of the psalmist, Psalm 107, verse 13. In the chapter, the psalmist is, is speaking of those who are at their end, those who are beat up and down by this world and have nowhere to turn unto the sun. The psalmist says this, cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and out of the shadow of death. Are you bound by the world this morning? Are you at your wits' end? I urge you this morning to cry out to the Lord. Trust in Him, and God will bring you out of the shadow of death. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and just ask forgiveness, God, for how much we've let the world influence the way we think about things. Father, at times when we approach the Word and we see how counter it is to the way we think, it should be humble to us, convicting to us of how far we are aligned with your Word. Father, bring it in real May we not use your Word to, to shape it, to say we want it to say, but may we humbly be shaped by it. Mold us and mess. us. In what you want us to be this morning, Lord. Father, if there's someone in here this morning doesn't know you, who has been living himself, and maybe they're just beat up and beat down by this world, Father, show them their need of you this morning. Bring them to you. Do whatever it takes to bring to you. And we'll give you all the glory.